Thank you. <clears throat> Enter, rejoice, and come in. Beloved member and longtime lay leader Kate Troop and I used to call this the UU Polka. It's got that accordion vibe to it, right? Enter, rejoice, and come. And I love that about it. It's playful, fun. It's nearly impossible to sing or even lip sync in a sad or apathetic manner. It doesn't allow one to drag too far behind the rhythm. It calls one to what it commands, rejoice. And sometimes, because it is such a joyous, welcoming song, I try to imagine it as a manual for welcoming people into this congregation. Our new instructions to the welcome teams will be to invite you all to enter the foyer, at which point we will confirm that you are rejoicing (laughs) before you are allowed to come in to the sanctuary. Space will be provided and time allotted for those of you who were not rejoicing when you entered so that you may attain an acceptable level of visible joyfulness before you come in. After all, today will be a joyful day. Won't it? I guess that would be a case of getting caught in the letter of this joyful musical invitation rather than the spirit of it. But sometimes I long for the letter. Just tell me how to do this stuff. Give me the surefire, all-inclusive, eternally effective welcoming manual So we can then turn toward all the other things that need attention and engagement and revising and reimagining. And I know that longing arises partly from the fact that I am relearning how to do this in-person gathering for a service stuff. Not only relearning it, but learning it anew as we engage with a congregation that is both in-person and online, and learning it anew because coming into this space at this point in time, we are bringing different needs, different aspirations for worship, and different perspectives on this congregation's interaction with the wider community and with the world at large than we may have carried here three-plus years ago. Learning anew how we do congregation. This Day in Recovery, a daily reader published by Skinner House Press, a Unitarian Universalist publisher, included a story about a softball team that found itself having to play one game in the middle of a city park as no real field was available. They supplied their own bases and marked off where they should all be. These bases, alas, weren't set into the ground, and they would slip every time anyone tried to step on one. In one particularly important play toward the end of the game, the writer says, one of our opponent's players rounded first and was heading for second only to get thrown out because he couldn't find the base in time. 
Well, all heck broke loose in a great and blustery argument. Our shortstop managed to break through the noise and said as loudly as he could, second base may not be where you think it should be, but it certainly is where it is. (laughs) I feel like that player looking for second base quite often these days. I think that's where we are as a congregation. The base is not where we expect it to be organizationally, structurally, culturally, spiritually even. But it is where it is, at least for now. And we are learning how to sometimes find it together and learning, more importantly, how to respond to this field of congregational life where the bases are no longer set into the ground. And so we want to get it right. But how? That's part of what we've been asking Rachel, right? What do we do now? How do we proceed? And I want to stick with those questions for a moment. Not the what, but the how. How we are going to be with one another as we map out the field and set down the bases, knowing very well that they may move during the game. Stephen Gaskin of The Farm, a utopian community in Tennessee, started in 1971 and still going on in a variety of manifestations. Gaskin would say as the members were planning this community, let's talk about how we're going to be. Not how we're going to stop the war, not how we're going to make it fair, but how we're going to be. In other words, before we talk about how we are going to do something, let's talk about how we are going to be with one another while we're doing what we're doing. We can help through what we do, but at the deepest level, say Ram Das and Paul Gorman in a book entitled, How Can I Help? At the deepest level, we help through who we are. We can help through what we do, but at the deepest level, we help through who we are. At first glance, Das and Gorman and Gaskin seem to be separating what we do from who and how we are. But I think they separate the two so that they can show the intimate connection between the two. What we do and who we are. One nurtures and defines the other in an ongoing circle. Keep the circle whole. What we do shapes who we are just as who we are guides what we do. The board has been reading a book together entitled Humble Inquiry, The Gentle Art of Asking Instead of Telling by Edgar and Peter Schein. I found this passage in a recent chapter relevant as I think about defining the it and getting it right in terms of what brings us together as a congregation. This is from the book. The bias in U.S. culture tends to define most situations as people getting together for the purpose of getting the job done and perhaps little more than that. 
which may involve an implicit effort by the relevant parties to actively avoid personal involvement with each other, even favoring professional distance as the best path to task accomplishment. Now, there is little doubt that we as a congregation have tasks that need to be carried out, goals that we wish to accomplish, and there is no doubt that there are more effective and less effective ways to carry out those tasks and to work toward accomplishing those goals. But what this passage seems to be saying, what the bias in U.S. culture may tell us, is that the best path toward task accomplishment would mean letting go of this whole deepening connections thing. Shallow connections are the way to go. Professional distance rolls over relationships. Forget about the person. Focus on the task. What theologian and philosopher Martin Buber would call an I-it relationship with others. I don't really experience you as a whole person, but rather as a help or a hindrance or irrelevant toward the achievement of my goal. Any connection I may have to you is about the task. That is the way we are told to get the job done. Now, I'm not speaking against efficiency or achieving goals or making plans, but I am saying it is possible if my primary focus is on a transactional relationship to the world, it is possible for me to, in the words of Jesus' parable about the rich man, it is possible for me to gain the whole world and lose my soul. The heart of what we do together is, for this moment, captured in the words of our mission to deepen connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy. That is the it in getting it right. And how are we going to be with one another as we pursue that mission? That is captured in our covenant. Holding this community dear and inspired by our common principles, we covenant to respect and trust each other, accept our differences and shortcomings, practice patience, compassion, and empathy, listen deeply, speak truthfully, be honest and authentic, support the congregation with our presence, participation, and financial gifts, and celebrate our life together. I remember when the congregation came together to create this covenant in my first year here, (laughs) and a member asked me, why are we doing all this? Is there a problem? I said, no, nothing I know of, which is why this is the perfect time to do this. But one thing I do know, there will be. There will be problems. Problems, situations, decisions that challenge the way that we know we want to treat one another. And we will have the partial and imperfect but no less powerful words of this covenant to call us back, to remind us who we wish to be at our best. Because, listen, when second base or first or third or home plate, I'm Tempted to lapse into my Abbott and Costello shtick here, but I will restrain myself. 
But seriously, when second base moves and it isn't where we think it should be, tempers flare, anxiety rises, frustration mounts. How are we going to be at that moment? We have big decisions ahead. It is a gift to even be wrestling with these decisions we have in front of us. But as we move to what we should do, let us also remember how we promise to be with one another in the doing. Let's remember that the it in getting it right is deepening connection. Which also means getting it right will, in a sense, forever elude us. There is no end point, no finish line where we say, ah, we have now sufficiently deepened connections. (laughs) There will be many mistakes and wonderfully creative recoveries, as we heard about in the time for all ages. There is no perfect process of deepening connections that would allow us to say, ah, now we have this in place. We can simply keep doing what we are doing, just keep it running. Our it challenges us to keep learning, to keep growing, to be creative and courageous in how we use our resources to meet the moments we are in, to risk vulnerability, knowing that the simple process of existing makes us inherently vulnerable, to risk failure, to risk involvement by reaching out beyond what is comfortable to the creative, the courageous, the compassionate. We can help through what we do, but at the deepest level, we help through who we are. We have the capability to lead with vulnerability. Compassion lets our fear take flight. Together, we can get it right. Right.